Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. How do we cope with a cyber incident? And what makes people effective, or at least better able to cope, during an attack? There is an increasing focus on resilience in cyber, and that's being driven by the growing threat landscape, the persistent problem of ransomware, and a realization that no defense is ever 100% effective, if it ever was. We need to be able to fix the problems caused by an attack and restore the business or service as quickly as possible when a breach does happen. And a key but often under-researched part of resilience is how people react in the high-pressure environment of a cyber incident. With that in mind, Immersive Labs commissioned researchers at Osterman to help them build a clearer picture of both cyber resilience and the risk landscape, and how workforce resilience plays its part within that. Our guest today is Max Vetter, VP of Cyber at Immersive Labs. I asked him first to set out the key findings of the Resilience Trend Report and the thinking behind it. So, obviously, we, we're constantly trying to um, understand what uh, security leaders and, and senior risk leaders, um, what they're looking at in terms of cyber resilience and how we can, uh, immersive labs can assist. So, obviously, we've commissioned that um, and to get their um to get an understanding of the cyber resilience risk landscape as in how much uh, is being used how much uh, is it a priority or all, all those things to understand how many um you know is it is it so we're looking at cyber workforce resilience as a as a whole uh, catch all around um how we make this, the humans better in the cyber element, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. So we, we've lots of people have lots of products, and there's a lot of process, and like, like you're saying, there's there's laws and things. But how do we make the humans better? And in terms of cyber resilience, what kind of priority is that, and what's the state of it, basically? So, what is cyber resilience, or what would be your definition of it? Because it's being talked about a lot, but I'm not sure that there is a standardized view either in industry or government of exactly what it means yeah we we use you know the ability for the workforce to adapt respond and recover from cyber incidents that's what we use and and obviously workforce is important there in terms of the human element there there are cyber resilience uh there's elements of cyber resilience in technology and, and process like we talked about but we're, we're talking about the workforce here how, how well they can essentially deal with cybersecurity incidents when they happen so what's pushing this up the agenda? Well, all the, all the cyber incidents, basically. I mean, as, as you'll know, uh, ransomware, particularly in the last, um, since uh, since COVID, uh, the whole landscape has changed and um, companies are, are seeing more and more the massive impact of particularly ransomware. Uh, other things are, are of a concern to them as well, um, like um, vulnerabilities in their software as well. But yeah, that because cyber incidents are becoming so much more impactful, you know, it's it's not just the CISO that might lose his job; it's the CEO as well now with um with with the how bad cyber incidents can get. So that's that's kind of what pushing it up the agenda, I think, for all companies. We're talking then about the severity of the incident, but also potentially the frequency because they're very common now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, uh, and and that's the whole. 
premise around what we talk about, um, you, you've got to assume you're going to get hacked. So if you assume that's going to happen, uh, then what, what do you do about it once you are? So obviously there are things you can do to try and stop yourself getting hacked, but you have to also prepare for what happens after or during and after a cyber incident. So that's really the whole, the whole side around being prepared for, uh, or cyber resilience is, is the preparation really, making sure you're as prepared as possible for, for when a cyber attack does happen. And I think it's quite well accepted now in the CISO community that actually we've spent too much emphasis and time and money and personnel on the perimeter and stopping people getting in and not enough on assuming that they will get in. And we've seen some quite serious incidents caused by those lateral moves by the basis that once you're in, you're trusted. Yeah, exactly. We'll come back to the point about people in, in a moment. But do you think now, I mean, before we go into the detail of the research, and I will give you a chance to, to walk us through it, when you talk to people about this now, whether they're your clients or whether they're CISOs or other people in the industry or people looking at the industry from the outside, such as governments, are they saying now actually that recovery stage, that resilience stage is essential in the way that it's a well-established necessity, requirement, priority for IT? We have resilient IT systems. They can cope with physical failure. They can cope with power outages, data center problems, even software glitches that cause bits of hardware to stop working. And we've seen that a number of occasions you know, causing some quite big consequences in, for example, the banking sector when that hasn't worked as it should. But that business continuity, business recovery is, a, is an established practice within IT. Are we now seeing that shift to the cybersecurity space? And it's interesting as well as to why that didn't develop in parallel, why that expertise, that knowledge and that realisation that it needs to happen in business continuity more broadly seems to not have included cyber. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, as the report shows that kind of cyber, resili cyber resilience, so not just, just resilience on its own, but is the kind of highest rank strategic and spending priority now for, for the organizations that we we surveyed. So that clearly now it is it is the priority. I mean, it's a good it's a good point. Why why didn't it happen along the same lines as IT? I think it's um it's just the evolution, I think, of of the cyber um industry or the, the innovation in in cyber attacks uh really that has, has has driven that because obviously it's failures would happen for a, over a period of time and then and now it's kind of i think maybe you only fix the problem that is in front of you at the time and, make, and just because of budget and and everything else so i think that's why it's it's suddenly now oh we've got to have exactly the same business continuity for well, the the problem with comparing it to IT is you can have business continuity IT, but when it comes to cyber, if it's something like a ransomware attack, you need business continuity for everything. Um, you know, which which may well link to the IT system, but it it it's it can go a lot further than a, a certain bug that might have happened in IT because it's you know it's deliberately done by the by the hacker, so it's got it's going to go as far as it it can. So better late than never, perhaps. But but looking at the research, then you've got some quite interesting figures, and certainly the headline figures that have come out of this. Improving cybersecurity teams, cyber resilience, cited by 80% of people. Improving general workforce, cyber resilience, 79, so only a hair's breadth apart. Uh, upskilling teams and individuals, that was interesting. That was over three quarters of respondents. So there's certainly an appreciation of the need but what does resilience look like when it comes to the people side? And obviously, that's your focus on this research. 
Yeah, I think that what it, what it shows is there's the need and the want. Like the, there's a priority, the need and the want, but actually um, the implementation obviously seems to be lacking. So um, even though eighty six percent say they want they have a resilience program, but only fifty two percent say it kind of. Um, it lacks a comprehensive approach, for example. So it's kind of like, oh, we're doing something, but we're not doing it well enough. I think another one is like 30, 33% of respondents think they're, they're confident their workforce is prepared uh, in the in, you know in the case of a cyber incident. So we know it's a priority, but maybe it hasn't got rolled out yet or, may, or, or they're definitely not confident that it will... Um, save them or stop stop that cyber incident so it's kind of like everyone's acknowledging that they need it but um i think it, we're at really early days in actually it, it making a difference and, and being able to stop a cyber incident is it worth then splitting the population here into the cyber security specialists and then the wider business population and looking at how both of those groups could improve their resilience yeah it's it's difficult because when you do that, then you, from my 20 years or whatever in the cyber industry, for a long time, it was always a cyber cyber security person's problem, you know? And, and I think that's the problem with, with splitting it is um, it might still become the cyber security person's problem, whereas now it's everyone's problem from, uh, you know, whoever clicks on that phishing email. So that could be anyone in the whole organization to... A receptionist might plug might plug in the USB key, which is the classic um, <laughs> classic attack from that that point of view. Um, so, so that's the thing about cyber resilience; it does it does really affect the whole workforce and the cyber. And 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 we've got interesting talking to our cust- uh, clients, interesting problems where we take developers for for instance. You know, writing a vulnerable writing vulnerable code is something that happens all the time, and actually. Another another bit of research we've done shows that a lot of developers knowingly push vulnerable code, but they don't sit under the CISO. They sit under the CTO. So there are some customers who are really trying to get their developers, you know, upskilled and more cyber resilient, but they're not actually backed by another part in their own organization to do that because it's obviously it's money and time and and do they want their developers shipping code faster? Or shipping it securely, and there is, you know, there's a difference. And and the cybersecurity people, like myself, will always go, well, of course, it's, you always want it, um, always want it secure. But in reality, um, when it comes to the bottom line, if 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 it's going to take another two weeks to get the uh, an app out, they might they might either just assume that risk or or just um, not have the priority to to make sure it's secure. And it's not a problem if they do assume that risk, as long as that's an informed decision. Well, that's the that's the problem is is it an informed decision, or is it the developer, individual, or or manager just saying, well, I don't think this is a problem. But if they don't have those skills to understand how big a problem it could be, I mean, we've seen that with lots of these hacks in 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 software vulnerabilities. Is that maybe the they're probably not qualified to understand the the ramification of someone hacking that and doing lateral movement like you said and that's the that's the problem is that you don't know what you don't know at that at that level yeah and you're saying that 81 percent of development teams admit that they're knowing vulnerable applications with insecure code which is a a very large and, and quite worrying number and again if your code is vulnerable in that respect 
then you're going to be, you know, assumably suffering from more incidents. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, and, and that's what we're seeing. You know, that the vulnerable code does will will attract hackers, and and especially when it comes to ransomware, if if they're a, a dedicated group, it's not. And if they've chosen your organization, um, they are very they're very good at what they do, and it is um, it's about you know there there might be many holes in your perimeter, like we said, and you you've got to try and make sure that you close as many as possible so they they don't find it. Um, and that's but obviously then it, then it's working out how to how to recover from that if it does happen as well. Do you think organisations actually have a clear understanding of how resilient they are in the cyberspace? No, <laughs> uh, in a short answer, and I think that's that's borne out in in the report as well. I think the we go on about metric, we bang on about metrics all the time, and around training and around all all this stuff. You know, how do you know that you are cyber resilient? Now, maybe you spend loads of money, and we do have organisations who said, well, we spend millions of pounds, and it's like that's not proof. Like <laughs> spending money does not mean you are you are um, you're proving. Uh, that you're better at cyber resilience, right? It, it, it's like, well, we spend so much on training, we spend so much on things, and and it's like, well, how do you actually prove it? And and I think there's um, only forty six percent or forty six percent don't um, have metrics to demonstrate cyber resilience or not. So you know, almost half of um, so so yeah, almost half don't even collect metrics to understand whether they are the cyber resilience is working or not. And I think there's another only 6% do collect things like response times to incidents. So that that's the thing we, we bang on a lot about is how do you prove anything? Like if, even when you talk about classroom training, if you send someone on classroom training, how do you prove they're any better when they come back? Or do you, you just assume it because they've left the office for five days? So it is a, it is a major problem in that whole area is that how, how do you prove they're any better at dealing with cyber incidents based on the money you're spending? Which comes back to that point that we don't necessarily have a clear and widely accepted definition of what a resilience, cyber resilient organization even looks like. There are frameworks uh, and there are very detailed assessments that you can go through such as NIST uh, which are fantastic but they're probably too granular for board directors to be able to look at a dashboard and say yes we're we're at risk here and we but we're getting better in this area and maybe we're actually getting worse in that area and these are the areas that need attention you know all those criteria in those frameworks and in those assessment methodologies are great for someone who's down in the weeds of cybersecurity and possibly down in the weeds of risk management, but they're not necessarily giving that overview, that top-level picture of where an organisation is at a point in time. I don't know if you'd agree with that. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I do. And and that's the thing. You need to, uh, you know, we talk about assess, build, improve. You need to assess where you are right now. You need to build that knowledge, however you do it, whether it's, you know, um, upskilling or training or... or um, any way of building that knowledge and then um, prove that you have proved where you are and that you've gained the extra knowledge against kind of real world threats. So, you know, we, we talk about simulations a lot, simulated attacks, um, simulated, uh, you know, like tabletops, do, doing simulations over and over again is, is what we recommend is the much more effective way of understanding whether you can cope with an actual incident when it happens or not. 
And as you say, there's quite a lot of organizations that aren't even asking the question, which is quite worrying. Yeah, exactly. If you don't, if you don't measure and you're just assuming well, I'm spending money, I think it's like any, at any executive level, we, you're, you're asked to justify your, the spend, right? And, and it is surprising that so many do justify a spend by the spend rather than, you know, mo most areas in business, you'd have to say, well, prove that this training is working and it doesn't, you don't seem to need to for some reason uh, in cybersecurity training. So, oh, well, we prove it by just doing more of it, which seems, <laughs> seems uh, pretty backwards. Sunk costs. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and you know, if you can, if you can prove everything from, you know, certifications, that, that's how, I think they they reprove it, but again, with this report says thirty two percent say the certifications are effective at mitigating cyber threats, which means you know this that that means sixty eight percent don't think certifications are effective at mitigating cyber cyber threats. So you know, is a piece of paper proof uh, of your um, of that individual's uh, ability to to mitigate a cyber attack or not? And we we would say. It's not. It's you need to need to understand exactly how good they are, and rather than just to have a piece of paper for it. So, do you think that regulations and legislation would help here? And clearly, there are moves afoot, uh, such as the Digital Operational Resilience Act in the EU, to push this through at least in certain sectors. So in that case, financial services. Yeah, I think um, compliance and regulations will help, even if it's. Um, in whatever in whatever terms you know more emphasis on cyber resilience and hopefully the proof of that rather than um you know rather than a tick box exercise so oh have you done your cyber training yes everyone has clicked on this thing and and you know what we want to push is okay rather than just clicking on you know they've done some training have they actually learned anything what i think what what we'd like to see is you can actually prove that you are cyber resilient rather than um, rather than oh, everyone in the organization has clicked on a, a thing a number of times, gone through a video and tried to try the exercise at the end. Um, so yeah, re regulation and, and laws will, uh, will help. And yeah, we do, um, we would, would like more of them. And to, to quote directly from that proposed legislation, it's requiring a framework where organizations need to make sure they can withstand, respond to, and recover from all types of ICT-related disruption. So clearly that includes cyber, but is not exclusively cyber. That would include you know, power failures, systems outages, and the other more conventional business recovery type threats. Do you expect then to see more of a convergence between business continuity and cybersecurity? And what impact, if we do see that, will have that on the t what impact would that have on the type of people we need to be doing this work? Yes, I would. I think business resilience, cyber resilience, business continuity. I think that and ri and risk. Um, it, all those uh, are um, will have crossovers, uh, whether they'll have it in in the business itself or or you know. The, the individuals or or the actual programs they're running out. So yeah, I, I think I think we'll see more and more of that. Where um, rather than think of it as we're putting people on cyber training and it's dedicated over here um, to the CISO, or maybe maybe it's not, it'll be more a, a chief risk officer uh, job. You know that this is actually a risk, uh, a primary risk to the company. So they need to get involved as well. Um, so yeah, 
I would say yes. I can't remember the second part of your question, actually. Sorry, yes. Um, so I, I was just wondering what sort of impact that would have on the type of people that you're requiring to, to bring in. So, you know, are we looking for somebody different or are we looking at adding skill sets to people who are already in IT resilience? They need to get a better understanding of cyber or do those data center architects who understand about power and cooling, um, you know, need to be reskilled re in cyber or vice versa? Do the cyber people need to understand more about physical security and physical disruption? I'll cut that bit out, but you just, just as a prompt, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that opens a whole kind of worms into the you know the the skills gap that we talk about you know how, how many people we don't have in the cyber industry that we need um and and again we would i think for some time people have realized it's not just you don't need more um nerdy kind of individuals that are really good at technical things that you know i think for a time you know i know in the past hiring people with resilient skills more than even technical skills in cyber because things change so fast that yeah if you have that resilience and you have that um perseverance that's a better set of skills actually than necessarily knowing this certain tool in cybersecurity. so i definitely think yeah that the the skills are are continuing to broaden out um skills needed to be in cyber in in the catch-all cyber because it's it's not just about um hands-on keyboard really it's it's about business continuity like you said and, and business resilience so yeah i'd expect we we, we need the all kinds of people to be able to pitch in to to actually make an effective um effective move against uh cyber attacks and and to help cyber resilience and be able to function well under pressure yeah well, exactly. That's a whole other set because you know there are cyber experts who aren't good in, in an incident, and there are cyber experts who are, and and they both have their place. And 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 it's not just cyber experts, right? You, you have your executives. I'm sure some executives do very well under under pressure, and some executives don't. Depending on you know if that ransomware hits, do you pay? Is the classic classic question. But if and and we we do this a lot in in conferences and always people say oh well no we'll never pay a course but as as you know eighty something percent of executives faced by that in the real world do um do actually pay so I think uh, it's it's trying to get those simulations as as realistic as possible to to understand the the skills you have and then if you don't have them uh, fill them so if we are moving from an approach of not if you'll be attacked, but when. What cultural change does that require in the organization? Do people really need to, th do people really need, to think, um, need to rethink and reconsider how they would act in the case of a breach? Yeah, I think um, obviously we, we talk about zero trust where, you know, what, how do you, do you change all the systems? So, so you just assume someone will be in all, all times and that, that is one end of it with the technology, but, but same with you know the employees we've we've been talking about you know the the boring cyber training that everyone has to go through uh especially if you're in financial services they'll have to go through that that tick box but how can we turn that into something that's not boring cyber training that actually does interest them does put them in the place of what they would do in the real job i think um there's a stat here that 46 percent of employees would know what to do uh if they got a phishing email which is which is pretty um pretty low given we know how bad phishing can be uh and and how long it's been a problem uh it's, it's pretty bad that it's still just only 46 percent would know what to do so 
yeah, it's it's definitely um, something we need to look at across the whole workforce and c continue to really get that security mindset everywhere in the in the organization. Max Vetter on what makes people good or perhaps less good in a cyber incident and what CISOs can do to build a better picture of how their organizations would fare during and above all after an attack. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights. In our next program, we'll hear how one organization reviewed its cybersecurity maturity and what its CISO then did to close the gaps. That episode will be live in two weeks' time. Until then, do catch up on past programmes on the website, securityinsights.co.uk, or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.